Matthew chapter uh, 6 is where we're going to be tonight. So Matthew 6, you find your way there. We're going to get back into our series on the Lord's Prayer tonight and pick that back up this evening. All right, Matthew 6, if you found your place, stand with me. And uh, I'm going to read, start reading in verse 7. We'll be looking at verse 11 tonight. Um, but this is Jesus speaking, and uh, this is His model for our prayer. And He says, when you pray, verse 7, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, which is, man, that's tempting to do, isn't it? Sometimes we can get into just a, a repetitious cycle of prayer and praying the same things over and over. And, and this is also written just before He says, I want you to pray like this, because some people think we're supposed to pray this specific prayer over and over again, and that's not the case. It's a model, it's a, it's a template for us, and that's why understanding the template is important because it guides our thoughts and our hearts before the Lord. So he says, Use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. He says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things ye in need of before ye even ask him. So after this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Then our business for tonight, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, thank you for a good day, a good month that we've had in September. Excited about October, uh, the memories to make as a church family, and the extra time together. Father, I pray that you would speak uh, to our hearts tonight and just illuminate for us, Lord, uh, your intent here. Um, there'd be a primary application, but then each of us would, if we have ears to hear, have something your Holy Spirit would specifically impress on our hearts tonight as we grow in our relationship with you. Lord, so many life stages represented here tonight and, and different developments of people's walk with you, but each of us can grow and, and learn more and uh, better relate to you, Father. And so guide us tonight and our thoughts and our hearts, and Lord, give us uh, the desire to want to relate to you more and in better ways. And so speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We first learned in the Lord's Prayer as we opened this series, of course, about the importance of prayer. That was really the first message. And then we learned how to address God as our Father. Josh, if you could bump whatever the sound up here just up a little bit, that'd be a help to me. Um, we learned that we are to address God as our Father. And what a privilege it is to know God not just as a deity. Um, he's not just a God that's out there somewhere distant. Jesus said, when you address him, address him as a father. And the idea is, is not the negative aspects of some earthly fathers, but all the positive aspects that God represents. He's someone that loves us dearly, that watches over us, that's present with us. There's this intimate relationship that we have with him. He's not just our God. He's not just our Savior. He is our Father, and He cares deeply for us. And then we were to request that God's name be hallowed, and we looked at that. How does God hallow His name? Well, He hallows it, or He makes it holy through our lives. And so as we pray this prayer, we have to keep in mind that when we pray, we're praying for something specific. We're setting our heart on some object or some specific, specific thing. And then we invite God to work through us, and through others to answer the request. That's how God works. He works through people. And He's always done that. And so when we say, God, would you hallow your name? It means, God, would your name be set apart? And then the request is this, through me. Um, the, prayer, the prayer is through us. Give us this day a brother. Hallowed be your name through who we are. And so, Lord, through my life today, through the decisions that I make, 
through the thoughts that I think, through the way that I present myself to the world, to the way I interact with my family. Lord, would you be glorified? Would you be set apart? Would you be hallowed through me? Lord, through our church, through our home, through my family, be hallowed. And so, God, would you do that through me? And then we read that we are to request for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that was the last thought that we looked at, and that presently Christ's kingdom doesn't exist on earth. It's not America. Um, it, it wasn't the Jewish nation. His, his kingdom on earth is coming someday, but it's not yet. And when Jesus came to the disappointment of so many, he came to establish a heavenly kingdom. He came to establish dominance in the spiritual realm, and that was what was so important to him. And that is, his kingdom is to be visible in our lives on earth. His focus wasn't the military, it wasn't the government, it was Christian lives and established in our hearts. And we looked at this last uh, sermon that we were in this text before Missions Month out of Romans chapter 4, verse 17, because this is really the best description of God's kingdom. When the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy found in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness and peace and joy. Those are the things that establish God's kingdom in our heart that are to be reflected and attracting the world through us to Him. And when we fail to have righteousness and we fail to have peace in our hearts and we fail to have joy, we are not establishing or building His kingdom. And that is how we do these things. The kingdom of God is supposed to be established. It's supposed to be growing in our hearts. And Jesus said, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things you're worried about. Those will be added to you. You focus on the main thing and the main thing is his kingdom. So now the prayer transitions. And this is this is the part we we all maybe pray more than the other parts, because now we get into the giving part. And in verse 11, that's the first word we read, is, is the word give. It's the requesting part of the prayer. It's really, we, under, we understand through the application of the text that the other are requests too. But this is where we maybe spend more of our time in prayer than any other thing. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. All throughout the scripture, God instructs us to ask of him. Those of us and, and I think the, the vast majority here who have experienced the blessings of a newborn infant know the dependent state that they are in. I mean, that little thing, you hold it in the hospital and you look at it and it can do literally nothing. It, it can't feed itself. It can't care for itself. It's completely dependent on caregivers around us. They're helpless. They can't do anything. And the idea here from this text is that our Heavenly Father watches over us to the same degree an earthly parent would their child. He's the caregiver. And He even says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, He's not talking about tying your shoes. He's talking about in the spiritual realm. You can't save yourself. You can't get to heaven. You're going to be absent righteousness and joy and peace without Him. And He's saying, without me in the spiritual world, you can do nothing. And this is the part of the prayer where we begin to deal with the things that we need and the things that we want through Him. And we have real needs. And we're going to look at one tonight like sustenance. We need food. We need clothing. We need shelter. Uh, in verse 12, we'll look at that next. We need forgiveness. We need our sins to be cleansed. We need forgiveness from other people. 
uh, we need protection. We need protection from circumstances. And we'll get to that in verse 13. But tonight's verse 11. And, and the request is this, that God would give us this day our daily bread. What's bread? Well, at the most basic level, it's flour and, and water. Have you ever been in need of food and not had any? Um, and you, you, you're really hungry. What does that do to you? Um, you know, my wife says, I get hangry. Um, and I would imagine that's probably true for some of us. Uh, maybe, maybe the majority of us. Sometimes all you need is, a, is, is you know, a handful of, of food to get you going and get your spirit and your attitude right in the, in the, back, in the right direction. And that's exactly what this text means, both physically and spiritually. I think it's humbling to realize that God cares deeply for the physical needs that we have. Um, he thinks about our needs. He processes them. Um, he meditates on them. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. And for me, that's getting easier and easier for the Lord to decount, right? Um, but he knows that. He, he, he's thinking about you in, in, a, in, a, in a deeper way and a more reflective way than you may even think about yourself. And he promises that to us. And he knows what we need. And so when he says, I'm going to take care of your needs, but I want you to ask for them. And we are to ask for bread. Bread is not just flour and water. It's an idea. And the Greek word for bread is artos. And it really means food of any kind. And the principle here is that even though God knows what we need, before we even maybe know what we need, we are still to pray for him, pray that he would provide those needs for us and that he would provide those needs for other people. And so the, the term bread here represents the things we need to survive and the things that we need to thrive. Bread literally represents the essentials of life that God cares deeply about for you. Like you have needs, you have desires, uh, you have wants, and God cares about those things. He cares about those aches, he cares about those pains, he cares about those relationships, he cares about those dreams, he cares about your hunger. Like God cares about these things. And we are to ask for our needs to be met. Charles Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. This is how God works. And it is, it is up to us to partake in this. And we miss so much in life when we just don't ask. James 4, 2, you lust, you have not, you kill, you desire to have, you cannot obtain, you fight, you war, you have not. And he says all this, you're in so much tension and turmoil in every area of your life. And you're frustrated here and your plans go awry and things aren't right here and this hurts you and your toes stubbed and your feelings are hurt and you wore at work and all these tensions are surrounding you. And he says this, yeah, well, you don't have peace and you don't have joy and you don't have help and you don't have righteousness because you didn't ask for it. You're not asking for it. You're literally not asking for help in that relationship. You're not asking for peace in your heart. You're not asking that, that the Lord would help this circumstance or situation or help you learn to navigate it. And we're supposed to ask. What physical, emotional, relational, spiritual need do you have that you're not asking God for? Matthew 7, just a chapter later, same sermon. He would say, ask and it shall be given you. 
Seek and you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened. Everyone that asks receives. He that seeketh findeth. Tim that knocketh, it shall be opened. We don't want to knock. We'd rather just have it dumped on our doorstep. We want an Amazon delivery God, right? God, just put it there. I didn't even want to click for it. This is, that's not how I work. You're going to have to knock on the door. You're going to have to be assertive. You're going to have to go after You're going to have to come to me. You're going to ask. He says, what man is there of you whom of his son ask bread? And there's that word. The son says, hey, dad, can I have some bread? Hey, dad, can I have some ice cream? Hey, dad, can I get some food here? I'm hungry. And he says, what dad looks at his son and gives him a stone? Like, who does that? He says, or if he asks a fish. Look, give him a serpent. If ye then being evil, meaning carnal or, or worldly, not that we're wicked, but the idea is that, that we're, we're built of flesh, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give, here's this thing, good things to them that ask him? Bread is a good gift. And God says, hey, I, I'm here. I want to hear your request. I want you to come to me, and I want you to ask. And, and the idea is we are to ask God for the things you need and the things you want. But again, the application of the sermon is this. God, use me, use my life to also meet the needs that others have. So I might pray for missionaries, and that's a good thing. And we, we covered this, this this month. I might say, God, would you provide the needs for West Gasway in Egypt? And Lord, help protect his family. Protect him and Rachel. Lord, their, their life could, could, be, could be ended any time. I mean, they're, they're in a danger zone. What's over them? Lord, help them impact souls for you. Help them to shine your light in a really dark place where there is no other light. But then I should also realize that God's going to say, yep, I'm going to hear that request. And I also want you to give money Daniel, so that they can stay there and then they can preach my word. So, so I ask God and then he also uses my life and my resources. Okay, God cares about bread or the needs and the desires of other people. And both the Old and New Testaments attest to this. So when I pray for the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer, the idea, here, the idea is here, I do so as an individual who has a lot of bread at home. Can you understand what I mean by bread? I have a pantry full of food, and if I go home tonight and the pantry's empty, I have the resources available to go get more. And, and my guess would be the vast majority of us would be the same. There might be one or two that may say, no, I, actually, that's a real struggle for me. But in our world today, in our church, those aren't real primary concerns that we have. We have the things we need to survive today. There are many, though, who pray this prayer and for whom the petition is a literal request for God to give them enough food to eat. Or maybe it would be something like this, um, for God to help them pay their light bill, for God to give them employment, for God to provide clothing for their children or some other need that they might have. And so we are to pray, and again, God or Lord, give us. So that includes not just myself. I'm not just praying for my needs. I'm praying for yours too. Give us this day our daily, our daily bread. And then God says, yep, I'm going to do that. I'm going to provide for them, and I'm going to provide for them through you. God, they need to be loved. 
Lord, would you, would you help them not feel so lonely? Yes, now Daniel, go love them. Now you give them that track. You're praying for their salvation. Now you share your faith with them. Now you bake some cookies and take it to their home. Now you mow their yard. Now you perform an act of generosity and service and love toward them. So when we pray this prayer, we are in essence saying, here I am, Lord, use me for our and us and the things that we need and the things that the, the concerns that we have. Those who have more than enough always become the answer to those who are lacking. Deuteronomy chapter 15. I asked uh, Paul to fill these verses up on the screen. If you want to turn in your Bible, you're welcome to. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture tonight. Um, Deuteronomy 15. This was the instruction that God gave to the children of Israel. And he said, If there be among you a poor man of any one of the brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, here's this verse, Thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. You're not supposed to turn a cold shoulder to them. And, and, and again, needs here aren't just ones that are, 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 are related to always money. We all have other needs too. And so he said, well, there, there are needs of the heart. And I want to keep that in mind. Verse 8, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him and shall surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart saying, and, and this was a principle on the Sabbath year, the seventh year, then th things would be made free. And so this guy's thinking, well, good night. I'm at the six and a half year mark. If I give this guy some money or lend him money, he's going he's gonna to get it all free in that six months. He says, this, he says, don't think that. The seventh year, the year of release is at hand. And then I be evil against thy poor brother, and thou hast givest him not. And he crying to the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. He says, thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Don't give grudgingly. Don't do someone, something for someone and then walk away feeling bad about it or like they really owe me. No, he's saying, I want you to have a spirit of magnet, a magnanimous spirit, a spirit of generosity. Says, don't, don't, don't walk away. Have a good attitude in your giving. So give and give with a good spirit, a good attitude. He says, verse 10 again, that thou shalt surely give him and thy heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand, hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, to thy needy in thy land. Have the poor ever not been among us? No. Have the needy ever not been among us? No, they always will be. There are always going to be people who have needs. And God uses us to meet those needs. So give us this day our daily bread. Is it just, Lord, you meet my needs? It's also, Lord, use me to meet the needs of us and our, too, whatever those needs may be around me. So principles from this passage, the call to give generously isn't a suggestion, it is a command. Like, that is a definition of being a Christian, is being one who gives and supports and loves. Everything we have came from God, never forget that. And if it belongs to God, then God gets to command where it goes. And if you're going to walk with him and with his spirit, then there are going to be times in your life when God's going to prick your heart and pinpoint something to you specifically and say, I want you to do this for this person. I want you to love them this way. I want you to give to them this way. I want you to be kind to them in this way. And God didn't just want compliance. This isn't just about strict obedience, like, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. This is, okay, I got it. And I'm going to do it with a happy heart. In part... This is 
how we hallow His name. It is how His kingdom comes. It is how His will is done in heaven, because that's His will, that's His spirit, He's generous. It's how He works in heaven through us on earth. Your kingdom come. There will be done on, in, in earth as it is in heaven. He does it through us. And in some measure, we provide through our generosity and thoughtfulness for the needs of other people and their desires and, 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 and their hearts and their loneliness and the love that we extend to them. Proverbs 22, 9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. For he giveth of his bread, his substance, to the poor. Matthew 25, 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. He says, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. We, we literally are loving the Lord and, and fulfilling His kingdom and His will when we are generous and thoughtful towards others. James 2.15, if a brother or sister be naked, destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, those things that they need. What doth it profit? Your words are cheap. He says, even so faith, if not hath works, is dead being alone. He says, you have faith in God, you love Him, you're trying to serve and walk with Him, then go ahead and act out on it with other people. It doesn't always have to be a tax deduction. Like, we're supposed to love people and be generous. We need to pray for our needs, and we need to ask God for the willingness and ability to meet the needs of others. And there's a lot of ways we do this. You know, recently our church is trying to get more involved in the John 3.16 mission. And Brian preaches there frequently, and he said, you know, there's, he, he, he deals with a lot of people. He says, there's, there's, there's a lot of women that come forward, and there's no ladies there to deal with the ladies that want to be saved. Um, Nicole Parson works there full time now, and we, we have a lot of people now that have signed up and going to serve once a month. And, and is, every other month, Ben, is it? Every other month? Um, Ben's not listening. <laughs> ben, is it every other month, John 3.16? I caught you off guard, I'm sorry. Okay, I think it's every other month that we're serving there now. We do this through our missions giving. We do this through our tracks that we encourage you to pass out. That's just an effort at sharing our testimony, our faith. We do this through community service, and many people in our church are involved in those things. And you don't need permission uh, to go serve in the community and get involved and love other people and be the light of Christ. Doesn't ha not everything has to come through Eastland Baptist Church. There are ways for us to love and be an extension of our church uh, in, in various ways. Many of us are doing this through adoption and then just being sensitive to the speaking of the Holy Spirit. There are many ways we do this, and God will speak to our hearts. Bread represents the essentials of life that God cares deeply about. And God knew our greatest needs aren't physical, but they are spiritual. So let me pivot in our thinking here for just a moment, because we talked about physical needs, and those are real. But there's this tension in the text, because bread has double meaning. And, and Jesus made sure we understood that and knew that. And he articulated that time and time again to his disciples. Bread has double meaning. The kingdom of heaven we're supposed to pray for in verse 10 isn't physical, it's spiritual. And he didn't instruct us to pray for a physical, spiritual Christian kingdom. He told us to pray for the development and spread of a spiritual one. Why? Well, because our greatest needs 
aren't physical. It's not freedom we need. We need spiritual freedom. That's priority. Now look, freedom's wonderful. I'm grateful we can worship in the way we do tonight. That is important. But we have to remember his emphasis wasn't on that. His emphasis in teaching and preaching was always on spiritual freedom. Okay, our greatest need isn't physical bread. Our greatest needs aren't physical necessities or wants and desires. Our greatest needs aren't the needs we think. Our greatest needs are spiritual. So there's a story that Matthew told in chapter 4, just a few chapters earlier. Jesus is fasting in the wilderness. He's been going at it for day after day after day after day, and he's really hungry. And who comes to him in the wilderness? Who could find him? Well, Satan did. He'll always find you. And so Satan finds Jesus in the wilderness as he's trying to do something really spiritual. And he tempts him. And he basically says, you can make bread out of anything. You're hungry? Satiate your desires. Here's some stones. Why don't you just make some bread out of them? And Jesus responds and he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. And he says, it's written, man shall not live by bread. And he's speaking about physical bread alone. But by every word, and this is the contrast, that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we're going to come back to the, that phrase, that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, in just a second. Jesus used bread as an analogy all throughout his life to help his disciples, us, understand our need for him. And so in John chapter 4, Jesus' disciples knew he was hungry. They leave him to go get food. And so as they're away, they come back and they say, Master, eat. We got you some food. We want to take care of you. You're our boss. We need you. We need you healthy. We need you fed. Eat this food. And Jesus is staring off in the distance because he just had a spiritual encounter with a lady. And he says, I have meat to eat ye know not of. And so the disciples are puzzled by that. And they say, okay, who got him food first? Like, guys, I thought we were on the same team here. Somebody already brought him food? And they're just completely bamboozled by this, right? And he looks at them and says, my mean is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In other words, he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry physically, but I'm really full spiritually right now. Why? Like, his spiritual tank was full, and it superseded his physical needs because a woman had just been saved, and others were being saved. And once again, Jesus was teaching that there's a lot more to sustaining a healthy life than mere physical bread. Our greatest needs are spiritual and those are the ones Jesus came to fulfill. And this is nowhere more evident than in John chapter 6. And I do want you to turn there tonight. John chapter 6. It's Wednesday night Bible study, so we're going to look at some scripture for a minute, all right? I had to contextualize that so you don't get frustrated with me. Jesus had been healing people. And he was attracting a lot of attention. And if someone were to do that today, they would too. And so people are curious about him. They're beginning to take notice. They hear from others. You know, there's no, there's no you know, news channel or cameras to follow him around. So they can't see it for themselves. They don't have iPhones. And so it's just spreading by word of mouth. And people's response is this. I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, that's, it's in essence what the text is suggesting. So now thousands of people are thronging him. They're like, okay, let's see what you can do. 
And so they're all around him. We get to John chapter 6. And uh, so Jesus is here with these thousands of people and they get trapped in the place where there's no food. There's no, there's no grocery stores. There's no people that merchants to buy food from. And Jesus, again, he notices their needs. He always sees our needs before we see them. And so he sees that they're hungry and he looks at Philip, one of his disciples, and he says, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And the Bible says he said this to prove him. Philip. He's testing Philip. Because he already knew what he was going to do. For he knew himself what he would do is what the text says. So he already knows what he's going to do. He's just, he's just testing Philip here. Okay. So the disciples say, well, you know, Lord, there's no food, but this little boy has what? He has five loaves of bread and two fish. And that's all we got. I don't know how we, that's all the food we have in these thousands of people. That's what we have to deal with. And Jesus says, not a problem. And he, he feeds them. And all of them. And we know the story. That story is nothing short of a miracle, but it was the ultimate setup. And so we might teach this to a children's class and really emphasize the miracle, but there's a teaching behind it. I mean, he is completely setting them up. Anybody, anybody ever set you up before? You didn't know it? Okay, this is what he's doing, because this is like an object lesson of all object lessons. He is going to use this illustration of multiplying bread to teach a principle and one of the most important lessons of his earthly ministry. And the teaching part starts in verse 25. So look there with me. Okay. Jesus does this miracle. He leaves them. He has a little episode with the disciples in this storm. And that's just a whole nother thought. But now, they, now we come back to this bread thing. <clears throat> and Jesus already knows what's going to happen. Verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Okay, so they, they find him like, you're trying to get away from us. We found you. And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me. You're looking for me. You're trying to find me again. Not because you saw the miracles. Okay, miracles are only cool if you're sick. Otherwise, they're just entertainment. And that's fun. That's really cool to see that guy. I don't know that guy, but that lame dude was healed. That's pretty cool. Oh, but he can feed me. He can give me food. Now he's a benefit to me. I need to follow that guy. So he says, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. Labor not for the meat. Now here's, the, here's he's going to start teaching them. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. That would be food that spoils. That would be our goods, the things we want. He says, but for that meat, work, labor, pursue the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. He says, you're pursuing me for the wrong reasons. Pursue me for the right ones. Pursue me for spiritual reasons, not physical ones. Pursue me for what I can do for you spiritually, not what I can do for you physically. Because they were emphasizing the physical over the spiritual, and Jesus is trying to redirect their priorities. Verse 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he hath sent. Therefore said they, they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying this, hey, if you're really from God, then, you know, like Moses did, then you should feed us. That's the, that's the precedent. So we want food. If you'll just keep multiplying bread and providing bread and fish and, and, and multiply, you know, all these things for us, like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 
He, they said, well, we'll follow you. That's a sign. Okay. Jesus said unto them, verse 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Moses couldn't do that. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. This was all pointing. Everything that even happened with Moses is pointing to this moment. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Okay, give it to us. We're hungry again. Give us that bread that comes down from heaven. And Jesus says unto them, like, like highlighters out, right? Verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. I'll fill you up. I'll give you what you need. I'll meet your desires in a way you never could know possible. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me. And he says, and you don't believe. Like you have it right in front of you. The bread is sitting on the shelf and you won't take it. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which he has sent me. That of all which he hath given I should lose nothing. I should raise it up again at the last day. You're safe with me. I'm going to take care of you. And this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Hey, they're so concerned about death and life after death. These Jews lived in this world. They talked about it in a way we don't. We don't talk about death. They did. It was a part of their life. He says, I've got you covered. I'm going to take care of you. I am the bread, but you need me. And so, nah, I don't like that answer. I want real bread. I could taste it. I could see it. I could put it in my belly. It fulfills me for this moment. So the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And now they're going to start discrediting him. They're murmuring. Eh, you know, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Pfft. How is it then he saith, I am to come down from heaven? He didn't come down from heaven. He came over from that poor man and his wife. And Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, calls them out on it. <laughs> Murmur not among yourselves. Shut your mouth. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me to draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If a man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay, so now they're really going at it. Some are listening. Some are processing. But they strove, the Bible says, verse 52, they strove among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're just taking him literally. Like, he's a sicko. He's suggesting that we be a cannibal. And Jesus is so frustrated. And he says unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. 
Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and, as I, li and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Guys, your fathers ate that bread from Moses and they're dead. Dead, 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 dead. You eat this bread and you live forever, ever, ever, ever. They don't like that. So he's teaching them th these things. Jesus wasn't talking about his literal flesh and blood. Paul would go to use the, on to use these words and imagery when he taught about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus used the miracle of the bread. He's setting them up for this idea to make a point. You need bread for life. Not just the physical life. You need bread for the spiritual life too. And those things aren't the same bread. There is a bread for the body and there is a bread for the soul. And so just to make sure they didn't miss the point, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, eternal life, like the one that really matters. Verse 41, I am the bread. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread. Okay, pivotal question for them, and it transcends to us, and I'm going to come back to verse 11 in Matthew chapter 6, I promise. Here's the question. What do you want more? The bread of this world? or the bread that came down from heaven? That's the question. Okay. Do you want a higher paycheck? Do you want nicer cars? You want more money in the bank account? You want to have all your needs completely met and, and, and live the American dream? Is, is, there is nothing evil or wrong in any of that. There is nothing wrong. These guys wanted manna. That's not an evil or wrong request. If a son asks his father for bread, that's okay. Okay, this is not evil or wrong. But when you start wanting this more than this, and Jesus said, the bread of life, my words, the words that I speak to you, the word that we have, obedience to him, living in a generous, thoughtful way, striving and walking with him and partaking of his presence in our lives. When we start wanting that bread more than this bread, were broken. And these people were. It, it, they were prioritizing this, the needs of their bodies over the needs of their souls. And Jesus says, I didn't come to establish that kingdom. I came to establish this one, righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. This is more important than bread. Satan, I'm not going to make stones out of bread because this is more important. That's what he's saying. That's the whole point of John chapter 6. Was Jesus concerned with the physical? Yes, a thousand times, yes. He fed them. He noticed it. He noticed their hunger. But now he's feeding them spiritually. And they're rejecting it like a toddler being force-fed food. They don't want that. And they're spinning it out. And they're malnourished and they're broken, and they're, and they're dying. Okay, verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, John, again, again we're in um, John chapter 6. 
Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Like, no one's going to believe you. No one's going to follow you. Of course we all prioritize this. That's, that's real. It's tangible. It's what we see today. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Like, like you, 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 I mean, I, I, can, I can do some pretty cool stuff. He says, but that's not what I'm going to do yet. He says, it's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. Th- th- this, this won't get you anywhere in eternity. And when we get to heaven someday, we're going to be really embarrassed about how, pri- how much priority in our lives we did place on this stuff. And we're going to have some, like, why didn't I, couldn't I do more? He says, the spirit, the quickeneth. He says, the words that I speak into you, these words, they are spirit. They are life. And verse 66, they're looking at him like, nope. Nope, don't believe it. And from that time, many of his disciples, they went back and walked no more with him. The, the ranks thinned significantly. And that had to be incredibly discouraging. Pastor went on sabbatical a few months ago, and, uh, you know, it's been two months now, I think, and I was so afraid the first, like, two or three Sundays, I was watching the attendance. I was thinking, maybe no one's going to come back to hear me preach, you know? (laughs) Maybe they'll just take a three-month sabbatical, too, you know? That would be really discouraging if the offerings went down and the ranks thinned. And they did. The offerings went down. And the ranks really thinned. And so, so much so, that Jesus looks at the original 12. These are the ones he's spent the most time with and been the most intimate with. And in this moment of discouragement, disillusionment, um, pain of being rejected, he says to his disciples, will ye also go away? Like, are you out to? It, and it's just like, I can almost imagine in my mind's eye this moment of crickets. Like, it's quiet. These, these guys, because they're absorbing what he's saying too. They had all these hopes that he was going to be an earthly king. And he ain't going to do that. But then the next verse. I love this so much. Verse 68. And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I don't want to go. There's no other option. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And I love this next phrase. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, you're saying all this, and it might be hard for us, but you're the only way. So we're in. We believe and we are sure. And tonight we have to answer that question too. What do you believe And of what are you sure? Your growling stomach or your growling soul? Which one needs, which needs are you going to prioritize in your life? Heard the phrase before, you are what you eat. It's obviously not 100% true for all people, but for most of us, it is. Poor eating leads to poor health. And as much as we want to justify our decisions, in relation to our diets, it is an inconvenient and inescapable truth. It is hard 
to be in a peaceful state when your body doesn't feel good. But when you start to eat healthy, subtle and profound changes begin to take place. When you're neither undereating nor overeating, when you're properly hydrated, when your macronutrients are balanced, then your body is healthy. You begin to feel good. You sleep good. You're more at peace in your body, your mind, your heart. These things are all connected and interrelated. If we are going to be healthy and thriving people, we need the bread of Jesus. So I, I, I need to take care of my physical body, and we even are given a reason from the Bible for that, because it's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which God gave to us. It's where He dwells. So even my motivation for taking care of my physical body is a spiritual motivation, because that's the body God gave me. And, and if this body is sick, and I'm not doing what I can in my power to take care of it, then I'm going to feel bad, and I can do less for the kingdom of God. And I can, and I can do less for Him. But Jesus is saying this, you, you need that, sure, take care of your body, and take care of your soul. And by the way, if you have to prioritize between the two, this comes first. And people are like, no, 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 this comes first. Jesus said, no, no, this comes first. And there's this tug of war, and they walk away from the tug of war. They say, we quit. We need good intake. We need Jesus. Later in Matthew, right before he died, disciples are eating what we know is the Last Supper, and they had no idea it was the Last Supper. This was another meal to them. They knew it was special. It was Passover. Matthew 26, 26, Jesus took bread and he blessed it. And in this moment, he says, he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. They've heard him talk like this before, but not at a meal. See, the prayer request goes like this. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And it means multiple things. There's these tensions we have to wrestle with because bread means two things. It means our physical needs, desires and wants, and it means our spiritual needs, desires and wants. And Jesus makes it clear. Give us this day our daily bread. Which is it? The answer is yes. It is both. Both our physical needs, but more important than that, our spiritual needs. Give us this day our daily bread. It means multiple things. Lord, would you give me what I need and even want, the bread of this world? Lord, would you use me to provide the needs and desires of others? And Lord, would you give me and would you give us what we need most of all? And it's you. We need you, Lord. We need your presence. We need your help. We need your guidance today. Lord, give us today our daily bread, and it's you. And Jesus said, what is the bread? He says, I am the bread of life. He's the word of God. We have it. It's here. Jesus needs to be invited into our lives every single day to meet the hungry needs of our souls. You wouldn't go a day without food. If you eat physical food, use that as a reminder of your need for the Lord Jesus and your need for Him. It's why we fast to remind us of the need we have of Him. He is the only one who can give to us the food, the spiritual food that we need. Bread must be eaten to sustain life, both physically and spiritually. We have to eat Jesus, not literally. 
spiritually. His word goes into us. It is essential for a happy, thriving life. You need both, but you need the bread of Jesus most. It's the priority. See, he said it's the spirit that quickeneth, verse 63 of John chapter 6. The flesh profiteth nothing, but the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So as we pray this prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, meet these needs, and, and these are my needs. And, and he wants you to ask. And he says, if you don't, like, if you're not knocking, if you're not asking, Matthew 7, he's like, if you're not doing these things, you're, you're missing out on a lot of physical, earthly things you could have, blessings that he wants to bless you with. So ask him for them. Okay, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. But more important, don't spend, and he didn't say this, so this is Daniel's version, okay? But we need to spend more emphasis and priority on our spiritual needs. Now, he does say that. I was going to say time, and, and that wouldn't necessarily be true. But the emphasis needs to be placed on the spiritual needs. And so, Father, give me these things, and then, Lord, now, let's deal with the most important things. Father, I need you today, and I need your guidance, and I need your wisdom, and, and not just me, but us and our. Give us this day our daily bread. Your words, Lord, your words. They are spirit, and they are life. And so, Lord, today, would you give us our daily bread? Let me say a word of prayer. Father, 